Hi, this is Andrea Borcha. And I'm Charles Wilchin. This is Far Stuff. The Internet of Things podcast. This week on Far Stuff, we talk to Shane Dyer. If you're a thermostat company and you're not building a connected product, you're planning on exiting that industry. That's an entire vertical that's tipped over and connectivity is a must-have in that product. I'm uh, Shane Dyer. I'm the founder at Arant. Arant is an IoT platform that enables the leading brands to deliver connected products, make that jump from unconnected to connected. So essentially what we do is provide that sort of shot of Silicon Valley DNA to help a lot of these companies build their connected products. And we operate all the cloud services for those products, you know, not only in the United States, but also across the world. There's about eight different data centers across the world that we support. In terms of my background, I've been doing this for, uh, for quite a while. You know, Arant is one of the pioneers in the IoT field. Our first connected products were there in, in 2007. If you've gone back to IoT back in like 2007, in many cases for the, for the products that you were using, the use case was to go back to your web browser and open that to interact with your lock. Right. A lot of friction there. And then all of a sudden, we had these wonderful screens that, you know, were in our pockets. And initially, it was just, you know, sort of the, you know, uh, you know sort of the few, uh, you know, elite that had a smartphone. But very quickly, that became something that you could depend on. So products could come out, you know, it would have an app on the package. And the consumer was just going, all buy the one with the app. And what the Arayan platform does is make all the magic in the background happen. So... We provide the, you know, the libraries for those iPhone and Android applications. We provide the cloud, a very scalable cloud. Imagine all these machines sending all this data back. And then we also provide the embedded software that goes on all these appliances to make them smart and connected. You were around early when it was still like called M2M. Mm-hmm. And before the cell phone, the difference from your point of view was that because there wasn't sort of this screen that we carried around with us all the time that could act as a remote control for these things... That was a huge barrier, which is not something I'd even considered before. Yeah, it was. A, you know, if you looked at the industry, that was something that was really holding it back. And as soon as that opened up, all of a sudden, you know, it made sense to add connectivity almost to anything that had electricity. You know, I think you know, five, ten years from now, we'll look at something that you know is plugged in or has batteries and doesn't have connectivity, and kind of look at it in a funny way, wondering, huh, what's wrong with this? It's kind of like a car with no power locks on it. If you're looking at the the industry and the, I mean, it seems like there's always been this excitement to get into IoT, but at least from my perspective, I've been looking at there's a couple different streams or paths that people have been trying to get into, right? So there's the large manufacturers that have been making consumer goods for a while that are now trying to make their things smart. Then there right. was the small startups, the Silicon Valley startups that are trying to create sensors and tools on existing frameworks like Zigbee or whatever to make things smart that weren't smart. Right, right. And then there seem to be like these aggregators, these platforms that are trying to bring everything together from both sides. What we seem to be seeing right now is that the consumers, you know, if you think about how they get into smart home or, or, or IoT, most of them right now are getting in the door through smart products. So they're buying a Nest thermostat or they're buying a Chamberlain garage door or they're buying a smart appliance from Whirlpool, a washer dryer or a refrigerator. That's where we see the majority. I think there's about an eight to one difference in adoption rather than building, buying the very large systems to kind of George Jetson your home. <laughs> so now the challenge that obviously that introduces is figuring out ways to get all these devices to talk together, since I may end up buying three desperate products that have three different applications. And we really believe at Arant that a lot of that is going to happen back on the cloud. So for instance, like we've done a big effort to integrate, it works with Nest APIs into our platform. 
um, so that our customers can start interacting with that Nest ecosystem. So for instance, you know, one of the demonstrations at CES they did was a company Ostram Sylvania on our platform doing uh, lighting control based on whether you're home or away. If your Nest thermostat says, look, you're away, I'm saving energy. Well, you might want to turn your lights off. Or if you're away for a long time, you might want to turn them on and off to follow your regular pattern so that so it doesn't look like no one's home in your house. Right. So you're leveraging the sensors in one product to help control another, which I think is great. And when they buy these products initially, when you take the first step into a smart product, like the ones that you mentioned, like the garage door opener, mm-hmm. are they always aware that they're buying a smart product or is this sort of a feature that happens to come with it that they don't really maybe understand at first? I think what they understand is they probably understand the first use case for the connectivity in the product. In the interest of like, you know, Chamberlain's garage door, that's I'm three miles away from my house. and I don't remember if I closed the garage door or not. I know that's something I always forget. So the customers will see the, you know, the iPhone application on the package and go, ah, I have that problem. I'm going to go after that. I see. What they probably don't see is they don't see all the layers of benefit that connectivity can provide beyond maybe that first use case. And so I think that's kind of cool in a way because it's sort of, you know, the customers start discovering all these new uses for connectivity in their products. So as an example, for the Chamberlain garage door, we hear these stories about people going back and saying, you know, the kids wake up on Sunday morning and the parents pull out the phone and say, you know, we just checked the garage door and you were not back by curfew last night. (laughs) And I didn't have to wait up until two in the morning in order to uh, in order to catch you. Uh, right. Teenagers everywhere are going to love this. <laughs> but, but also people using, you know, their smartphones with their kids, since their kids all have smartphones now as kind of the latch key and, and get coming in through their garage door rather than carrying a key to the house. So all these new uses. I mean, I think the best analogy I can get is if we can rewind history way back, you know, when we were just deciding whether to put connectivity in our computers and our workstations, you know, would they have Ethernet or not? And a lot of the reasons why we justified that networking were things like we can share a printer. I mean, that was literally why we were getting networking so that one printer could be used by four computers. Now, obviously, you know, the benefits for networking far outweigh shared printing now, but we had to sort of discover a lot of those applications as we went along. And I think IoT is still in that same pace where we're kind of reaching for a lot of the first use cases. But really, as we start to use this and and it starts to become compatible and part of our lives, the benefits are really going to start to accrue with applications that are still just being developed now and discovered now. Consumer goods tend not to be updated like a year after their introduction or two years after their introduction and they introduce a new model and then you can't get firmware updates and things like that. What is that tension between, you know, the ability to potentially enhance a product for a long time, but the reality that you have to come out with new models, is that going to change the purchasing model, the support model? Yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting battle that's going on right now in the industry, which is, you know, do we sort of create these massive computer appliance products that have connectivity and big computers and we need to update them all the time? And Array is definitely not in that camp. You know, what we carry the flag for is that you're going to have that refrigerator or that door lock for, you know, 10 to 15 years. So how do we make that part of the system really simple really secure so that it can have that same reliability footprint for those 15 years, but then have a lot of the interactivity and a lot of the functionality for that product actually exist up in the cloud. Because while it, you know, it's, it's very impractical to go out to those three-year-old models and change their firmware all the time and help them keep up to date, the power of the cloud is we can have models for all these devices 
and allow them to interact in new ways and add new features and pieces like that to, the, to those existing, simple, reliable products in your house. And that's really the philosophy that we bring to, you know, to, to IoT and a lot of the companies around us that are, that are working on the Array platform are, are bringing to the table. So keeping the devices, things should be things. And then you want a thing fridge. You don't want a computer fridge. But then you want it to have enough connectivity so it can start interacting in a rich way in your new connected world. I like that you've taken an opinionated stand on this because it almost sounds like a rant is pushing for dumber devices with smarter cloud parts that can be more easily managed and easily enhanced where the device itself does as little as possible, but in a very, very secure way reports to the cloud. And then that in turn is used to create new features and benefits over time. Yeah, that's mostly correct. The, there are always things that you want the device to be able to do on its own, right? So there are certain things when you, you, know, when you want to be able to locally turn on a light without having to go to the cloud. But for a lot of the interesting interactions, especially the interactions with other products and other ecosystems, that those cloud-to-cloud connections are really the way to be the most flexible there. And quite frankly, right now, you know, the embedded LAN in our home, all the different standards from Bluetooth to Thread to Zigbee to Z-Wave, it's kind of a mess down there right now. And so the first way that we're seeing, you know, a lot of compatibility between products is in the cloud. And I think that's where we'll see the most development, especially over the next three to four years. As your business evolves and as you interact with more consumers and manufacturers, are you seeing that the focus is more on creating a more automated life or on creating more efficient products? What is the top priority? I think there's a huge gap between the first thing you want to do is you want to provide whatever that connectivity enhancement is for that product to get those early use cases. You know, it could be as something as simple as you've left your stove on, right? I know it's Monday through Friday and it's been on for an hour and you don't cook a lot of pot roasts or whatever. Getting those messages back for that first functionality. I think getting that and nailing that is the first step. The other pieces that are, I think are very intriguing and a lot of our customers are putting together are a lot of the ways for it to be more proactive and more thoughtful about how it fits in your life. Personally, I really believe there's a huge gulf. If you get it a little bit thoughtful, it tends to not work at all. You have to be really, really good in terms of being able to understand you know, the machine learning or the other pieces necessary to put together a really thoughtful system before it crosses that threshold from slightly automated and annoying to actually surprising and good. And intuitive. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a a good analogy would be like, you know, if you looked at sort of automatic speech recognition, right? That went through a huge phase where it was bad enough, it was worse than not having it. (laughs) And it took it a long time to get, you know, to the point where it's, ah, this is actually good and helpful to kind of cross that boundary. And I think a lot of the intelligent, automated, you didn't have to push any buttons home solutions that are out there right now probably fall into that middle category of, you, you made an attempt there, but, it, but, it, but it's doing more harm than good. So, so we really, you know, recommend when we work with, with companies to go through to really sit there and say, first of all, nail all the stuff so that instantly from my smartphone, I can understand what my problems are and solve them. And then as you add, you know, the automation and the other features in there, how can you do that in a way that's not techie? It's very approachable. And how can you do that in a way where you're always helping and never annoying? Do you think we have a lot of the problems identified that we're trying to solve? We just quite haven't gotten to the solution yet. Or do you think there's still a vast array of 
issues that we don't even know exist yet because the system itself, the ecosystem is still so clunky? Oh, I think it's the latter. I mean, I think there's definitely new problems and new applications around these connected products that have yet to be thought of or taken advantage of. I think that we're so new to the world where our products can talk that we're still sort of developing. We're still trying to figure out what that looks like. You know, in some ways it's sort of, you know, we're kind of trying to fly and we're kind of flapping our wings like birds. We haven't figured out airplanes yet. (laughs) So I think there's going to be a lot of evolution, especially over the next five, six years in understanding what it means when our products can talk and then starting to get sort of the emergent applications and behaviors around that. So we're very much in the first inning now. This bumpy road is going to be at least another. So by 2020, we might start smoothing it out enough that people are comfortable with this connected world. No, I I don't believe in that. I mean, I think that, you know, even as early as like next year or the year after, you're going to look at a garage door that you can't tell from your smartphone if you left open. You're going to look at that as a very broken product. Yeah. If you're a thermostat company and you're not building a connected product, you're planning on exiting that industry. That's an entire vertical that's tipped over and connectivity is a must-have in that product. I think those sort of applications will go through. I think a lot of that will be a little bit more you know, command and control from your smartphone. I think the really emergent, your house anticipated your needs and put itself all in the right configuration in a way that didn't annoy the heck out of you. I think that's probably further out than most people think. I bet. With all the manufacturers you're working with, do you see it's that market pressure you were just talking about where the market's saying, nope, this is now a requirement of these products, you better jump on board? Or are manufacturers actually coming to you and to other pioneers and saying, well, you know, I I need to get into this smart things and we've got some ideas and, and let's jump ahead of the curve? I think it's a little bit of both, but it's certainly more, I think if you looked at sort of last year, all the boardrooms in the CEOs of the companies that make products essentially recognized that connectivity was going to be a basis of competition in their industry. And if they didn't figure out how to address it and address it well, and not fumble with their brand when they did, they were going to be significantly left behind. And that was a a combination of, you know, you mentioned a lot of those startup companies, you know, the Kickstarter companies and the, you know, the folks like that, that were kind of coming out and really pushing the existing manufacturers and in many cases, disrupting them using connectivity as their hook or their advantage. So they were threatened from that side. And they also had other major competitors that were putting out, you know, connected products and announcing connected products. And if you allow another brand to be associated with you know, the goodness of connectivity before your brand positions there, you risk kind of falling a generation behind. And then it's very difficult to catch up. You know, you're on generation one while your competitors on generation two. And, you know, when you get to generation two, they're on generation three or four. So I think that's really what's been pushing people to really take their connected programs seriously and really work hard to get products on shelves. What are they most surprised by when they want to make a smart product? Do they have any idea what they're getting into as far as bomb costs necessary to make a washer smart? Do they understand the software aspect of it? Because presumably most of them are not in the software business and don't have necessarily software developer talent. What are the things that kind of shock them when they're just kind of getting into that and, and learning what they need to do over the next year for the next product cycle? I think the hardware part is now becoming pretty well understood. And that's definitely accelerating the market. The software part, especially for Internet of Things, is 
a very interesting and difficult problem. And I think that's probably something a lot of the manufacturers don't have an appreciation for. Every single time a smart product works, remember that's a miracle of you know, five different pieces of <laughs> right. distributed software all working together perfectly and very fast to give you that experience, whether it's the software on the product, the software up in the clouds, other cloud partners like, and, you know, people sending energy pricing or SMS messaging to the smartphone application and what it, what it needs to do to be part of that ecosystem. You know, what Arrayant is really concentrated on with our platform is to try to take all those problems that we've solved for big manufacturers like Whirlpool or Chamberlain or Pentair or Sylvania and make it so that you don't have to go through all those battles. You can kind of stand on the shoulders of giants in that way and really work on what makes your product unique. I could definitely see that as this industry continues to evolve, consumers are getting further and further away from understanding how the things in their house works. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's like the cars, you know, people used to fix their cars, but now it's, now you need a hacking. (laughs) You need to know how to hack to to fix your car. It's not lift the end, you know, lift the hood and look at the engine. Yeah. When you pull that product off the shelf, you know, it could be like 30 to 40% of that value of that product is not in your hand. It's in the servers that sit behind that product. It's in the applications, the iPhone application, the Android application that you're using. It's in the weather services that are going to make that product work better when it's you know raining or hot or whatever that product needs to, needs to do. Considering the dependence on the cloud, how do you see this pricing model working out long term? I mean, right now I can buy a $10 toaster, but in 10 years... I'm not sure a $10 toaster will even be an option. You'll have a toaster subscription, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in many ways, you know, I mean, I think this sort of moves towards the kind of new economies that we have. Like, you're going to expect more from your manufacturers. If your washing machine breaks and you had to go down there and find out that it broke, you're going to call up really angry and say, look, you guys, this was a connected washing machine. You guys knew it was going to fail. Why didn't you call me? In fact, why didn't you, you know, work with me to schedule a service tech so that I wasn't down for two weeks? I think our expectations around how the best companies and the best brands in the world treat us in this new connected space are going to really sort of increase. That's an interesting challenge for these businesses. It, it almost feels like a completely different business model. I mean, your support tech before may have been, uh, can you just tell me how to connect this hose? But now you're right. It'll be, how dare your washer not have warned me that it was going down? And it's it's no longer talking to my telephone and my fridge properly and my energy consumption. And I mean, the expectations are astronomical. That's the hard part. That's the challenge is that, you know, any company that sells a connected product in many ways is now a service provider, Right. And each of the departments in their company has to understand that additional responsibility and have tools and methods in order to be able to handle that. You mentioned service before, right? If you ask me for customer service, if I've got a connected product and you start asking me a bunch of dumb questions about whether I have it plugged in, you know, my answer is going to be, look, it's a connected product. You should know all this already. So, you know, that sort of area of, you know, how does your service department change into a proactive service department? Um, If if a company doesn't make those transitions, they're going to get lapped by a competitor or a startup that's able to understand right away what this new connected product world is going to look like. And it's sort of built to kind of take it on. And Shane, when you're working with these companies, do you show the ROI for a sort of a more proactive service model for these appliances? Because presumably in some cases... You can actually detect when filters are about to go out or mm-hmm. if something's working out of spec and it looks like it will fail in X number of weeks. 
Are you able to show or, or have your customers done studies to prove how the ROI changes for them when they have a more proactive uh, service relationship? Absolutely. I mean, we've, you know, we've done over, you know, 50 of these products to market now. So that we've also helped a number of those companies with their business models. So we have a little bit of pattern recognition on what's worked and where people are making money and what, you know, they thought was going to be important, but turned out when the product was deployed to be less important than other parts of the program. Now, all those products have to be done as a partnership with the company because each person's business is specific to them. So you really have to work with them to understand where their costs are and how IoT is going to benefit their business. But, you know, if we just take, you know, for instance, like the, uh, you know, your refrigerator or something like that, for, you know, 20 years, it's been such a pain as a consumer to figure out when the water filter light comes on and I need to change my water filter, hunting down a place to buy the part and figuring out how to install it. You know, that's a really strained relationship right now with those consumers. And imagine that, you know, one touch notification and button that gets you a new water filter there. That not only benefits me as a consumer, because I don't have four hours on Saturday to work on finding a new water filter and installing it, but it also really benefits the company because now they have a closer relationship with that customer. And that means that over time, they're going to make a lot more money from those connected customers versus those customers that they just sold a product to and are unconnected. Your relationship with your customers, is it such that you can help provide them connections to things like Amazon's Dash Replacement Service? Are you helping them with privacy issues around the globe? How much of a turnkey solution do you provide? Where is that line typically? So in terms of like security and privacy and those parts, those are parts that are built into the platform. And as you mentioned before, this is a part where companies that are trying to roll it themselves or build it themselves often stumble in IoT. Those are the problems that they don't really understand how difficult they are and how difficult they are to get right. So those are core platform. Some of the other problems, like specifically wiring in their e-commerce store to the application and pieces like this, this is an area where Rant provides great APIs. And there's a lot of third-party providers that have done system integration with Arant that can help put together you know, the sort of special product solutions to make that solution go. So we're very much at the core of that system, but we also recognize there's lots of pieces of software, like the CRM system for that company, maybe their ERP system and other pieces like that that need to be connected to get the whole ecosystem working together. And those are the areas where we just provide really tremendous cloud APIs so that partners can put together great solutions. So along the same lines, even though a lot of people probably want to simplify IoT long term is just going to be a mass of little pieces all connected together, making it work. Well, but that's kind of how the Internet came together, right? Yeah. I think it's very much in some ways following that model where it starts out with understandable products and it's up to us and the manufacturers and the industry together to make sure we're building them in ways that we can start to delight the customers in the ways that they work together. I saw on your website that you worked with Mattel. So I have to ask, like, how, how are you making smart toys or, or what's, <laughs> what's going on over there? Because I'm, I'm so excited for that spectrum. <laughs> yeah. So that's actually an area where, you know, where, where we see great promise in connected toys and connected play, especially with uh, a lot of folks being remote from, you know, their kids or their family members and things like that. So it's an area we're very excited about. One of our first products on our network was a Mattel toy, like a, a Mattel messaging toy that allowed people in different places to, to talk to each other in a very safe way. And that was a great experience for us because as you know, toys have amazing volumes 
you know, it's not unheard of to get a toy that can do a million units or so. So it's a great test to see how well we were putting together a lot of the networking software that allowed us to build the cloud infrastructure. But I think what we see with the toy companies, they'll definitely be a part of this trend as well, where connectivity and toys is going to be a something that you start to see and start to look through. It'll probably lag some of the appliances and the other pieces there, but it's a very exciting area. For Arant, you're obviously working with some really interesting companies and there's probably opportunities for companies to work together. Have you made any of those connections? And if so, how does that work? Are you providing sort of an abstraction layer for devices to make vendors who are both using Arant, for example, to talk to each other more easily, some standards for those? Or are you adopting Standards like, you know, all join or, or Google's recently announced Weave. How does that work? So what Array really does is there's a number of ecosystems and none of them have one, right? There's Google ecosystems. Obviously, Apple's got an ecosystem. And if you look at our customers, you can see that they're participating in these other ecosystems. In most cases, the data from their products goes up into their account on the Array cloud. And then they figure out which switches they want to turn on in terms of who they would like to partner with, and how they would like to control that data. So what we try to do is we try to be in front of all of our customers, building the connectors to these various ecosystems. And then each of those individual manufacturers gets to decide, okay, if I turn on this switch on the Array network, I can control how much of the interface I share. Is it a read-only? Am I allowing that partner to control as well? But they also have the ability to put the hooks in so that they can basically figure out how their customer provides them permission and they provide information about what benefit that's going to have. So the customer, the consumer who bought the product is also involved in deciding what they would like it connected to. And with all the consumer data that these companies now are collecting, are they tackling it well? Are, are they still a little overwhelmed and kind of storing it and figuring out how to process it later? Because there's... I mean, the usage data they must be collecting must be astronomical. What we try to do in our platform is we try to set it so that manufacturers can decide how much of that usage data they want to collect in cooperation with their customer, and then what sort of uses they're going to use it for with that customer. But you're right, even in that case where they're being a little selective on it, there's a huge fire hose of data coming from these machines. And quite frankly, most of the companies are not set up to do the sort of intelligent things with those pieces that they can do to delight their consumers. So Arrayant has a number of analytics tools that we offer our customers on top of that to help them make sense of this data, You know, both in terms of being able to do things like understand what features are being used, what features are not being used, understand what kinds of different customers they have. You know, So as there are customers that, you know, use the product, you know, once a week or so, or they have other customers that kind of fit into that little fanatical piece where they use it all the time or they use it in a new way. All this understanding is feedback that none of these companies have really had on any of their products before. Is there an example you can share where your data scientists were able to look at the kinds of data collected by a device and just make a light bulb go off in one of your customers' heads? Sure. This is kind of a fun one. Actually, one of our customers, and and this was a little bit serendipitous, but they would actually see in a particular area an increase in activity around their product. And so originally, when we were looking at this phenomenon on the data science side or the the analytics side, this sort of hits and flags. When we looked at it, when we traced it back, what it ended up being is that when they ran media, like commercials on television promoting their connected product, the existing users that had that product would take it out and show their friends on the couch or interact with that product in a new way. 
So you can imagine the power of this now because then they could start correlating this increased activity to the impact that they were having in real time of their advertising campaign. So areas where it took them 90 days before to decide if what they were doing was making any sense, all of a sudden they could decide, you know, a half an hour after they ran the spot, how effective that spot was based on how their individual users, you know, their current users were interacting with it. So I think those are the sorts of things that, you know, kind of bring the power of these connected products to the fore. It puts a whole new interesting spin on advertising anyway, because there's still an expectation that you get some lag in data knowing how effective a TV commercial was. But when everything's been uh, upgraded to be smart, you, you could probably get direct feedback even on indirect advertising and marketing campaigns. That's right. I mean, if you think about one of the most powerful use cases for IoT is its ability to kind of close all these open loops that we've had before, right? Uh, you know, the open loop around service where the product breaks, right? And you don't really hear about it until the customer picks up the telephone and calls you in an angry way, right? <laughs> it's always the angry phone calls that, that drive everything, isn't it? You never get happy ones, right? <laughs> right. It's always the angry ones, right? And that's, you know, and by the way, if you have a non-connected product, that's your touch point with the customer. You either never hear from them or they're really angry with you. That's <laughs> You know, closed loop on service. So if you're servicing a product, you're not driving out, realizing you don't have the part with you, and then coming back two days later or a week later with the right part, you understand probably what's wrong with that machine from the error codes and you're bringing the correct parts to fix it with you when you go. To, you know, you mentioned marketing before, to product design, right? You know, we all had, we sat in this room and, and we decided we were going to put these features on our products did the consumers ultimately care? Are they using those features? Is one feature we thought was, you know, not that important? Is that the hero feature that's being used for the product? And how can that inform, you know, the next version of the product I, I make? Or am I actually going to change the software in the cloud or in the product or in the application to create an enhanced version of that product without actually having to build another one and bring it out a year and a half later? If you think about IoT as sort of closing all these open, inefficient feedback loops to make organizations really competitive, I think that's what's most exciting about it from a company's point of view. And for customers, you know, done right, this creates products that just blow away their, their, you know, their unconnected competition. It's still early days, but do you have an example of a case where the company has used data to maybe radically rethink sort of the spirit of a product based on usage? Sure. I think in many cases, uh, if we look at uh, some of the products that have to do with safety in your home and damage in your home, these can be anything from smoke detectors to the appliances in your home, your washing machine or your stove, or things like your sump pump in your basement and others like that. All these devices have the ability when they're smart to protect your home. And there's entities like insurance companies that are very willing to do great things for the consumers, give them discounts, other pieces like that, if they can know that and, and be tied into the fact that you are protecting your home in a way that you can't protect them with unconnected products. I think that's an area where that data stream for those products themselves can actually influence you know, me getting a better rate on my insurance or me understanding a little bit better what, you know, what my risks are around my home and being able to protect it better in that way. And I think we're going to see a lot of those sort of third parties that you wouldn't think about being, connect, you know, being product companies starting to participate in these ecosystems. 
That's where I think customers start getting a little, or consumers get a little nervous, especially there was that whole debate that I think Progressive had the car tracker, right? Mm -hmm. Because yes, it's great. You save money if you happen to be a good driver, but you make one mistake and then you might not be on the good list anymore. And, And I know that makes people nervous because people aren't perfect. Nobody and, wants to be on the naughty list. Nobody wants yeah, to be on the naughty list. I think when it gets punitive like that, it, it doesn't work for, for, for customers. But, you know, knowing that, you know, when your basement starts flooding, you know, one of our customers is Pantera and they make a sump pump. Right now, the way that you know your sump pump isn't working is you go down in your basement and it's There's flooded. a flood. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's probably not the best mechanism to know that your sump pump isn't working, right? You know, it's probably, you'd probably prefer that text message that says, you know, you know, that message on your phone that says, I'm not keeping up. Please come home now. <laughs> fix me, fix me, fix right, me. <laughs> right. And, you know, given that it's, you know, $20,000 to, you know, to repair, you know, major flood damage and things like that as well, there's a significant incentive to have your home more, prote- more protected. And I think in that case, like the insurance company and the consumer are aligned. You know, it's not, you know, it, it's, it's it, and, you know, it, both of you don't want something bad to happen to the basement. For sure. Definitely. I think those sort of, you know, win-wins will probably thrive in the market. And if it ever starts to feel like the customer isn't getting a real tangible benefit, well, those are the cases and those are the solutions that won't work. I think a lot of these companies will be kind of figuring this out and navigating this. And we definitely work when we work with our manufacturers, really work with them to think about what the consumer gets and think about it from a consumer benefits perspective, because if that's not there, you know, your grand ideas is is going to flop because they have to be part of the solution. Yeah. As we go back and forth, it seems that both the consumers and the manufacturers have to be a little bit uh, patient and a little bit understanding as we kind of work out where the line is of what's appropriate and what's helpful and what ends up being technology over invading. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Creepy tech. Although, are we now going to have all these apps that are anthropomorphizing our washer and dryer? It has a little cartoon that jumps up and down and says, my sump pump isn't working. My sump pump isn't Help working. Help me, I'm drowning. <laughs> well, you know, the one, the one I need, though, is I always leave my clothes in the washer. And it's got a little buzzer or something, but it's in the garage. So I never hear that thing. So I, right. I can't tell you how many times I've rewashed mildew, mildewy clothes. Oh, yes. Yeah. No. no, I do that, too. <laughs> When I'm upstairs watching my uh, watching my TV show, you know, just getting that message to say, "Yep, it's time to change. It's time to time to put the clothes in the dryer." Just little things like that really make the appliances around me sort of sensitive to the new way that I live. You know, they're being yeah, the- polite to me now. <laughs> Before they're you know they're really impolite. You know, my 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 life, whole life has changed, right? And they haven't really changed with me yet. And so I think I think that notion of of the technology. Getting us to politeness probably going to be more important than, you know, a little bit of the, you know, did the technology get creepier or anything else like this? There will always be a percentage of population that will opt out. And there needs to be abilities in the products to sit there and say, no, I don't want this scent. I don't want this. You know, the customer has to have those blocks and protection. However, I think if done in partnership with the customers and done thoughtfully, understanding that any manufacturer or anyone that brings a connected product has to be a good guest in someone's house. If you do it from that perspective, I think the vast majority of consumers will see the benefits and really want to have products that are more in turn with the way they live. Yeah, everyone's gotten a bit busier and life's more hectic and everyone's doing way more than they used to. And so, of course, you're going to forget that you left clothes in the washer because you've got five other things on your mind at that time. So you need IoT to 
to, to politely, I like that, the, the, the technology's a guest at your house. It needs to politely remind you that, hey, you, you were actually in the middle of, of a task yeah, here. Yeah. And, you know, the companies that are not good guests will get thrown out. <laughs> I like that. That's a good way to think of it. So with the home control and the toys and entertainment, those are definitely some trends moving forward. Have you been working with any other trends in IoT that you see are starting to kind of kick off or you think might kick off here in the next few years? Oh, my Lord. Lighting. I think it's a huge one. You know, we're working very hard in this area. The great part about lighting is there's so many more things you can do with it than just having a simple switch. You know, the ability to control things like colors or in many cases, just the tone, you know, the tunable white. Is it the middle of the day and I'm doing my homework and so I want it bright white versus, you know, I'm having dinner now or I'm relaxing now and I'd like my living room to be warm. I mean, right now, you know, our switch controls are so binary and so limited. I, I think the, you know, the transition from, you know, incandescence to LED, which not only saves tons of energy, but also adding that connectivity to those LED bulbs is, is fairly simple and fairly straightforward now. So I see a huge explosion in how we think about light around our homes as soon as we get it controllable and as soon as we're able to uh, and able to bring a lot of that power to our smartphones. So that's one I'm really excited about. The light bulbs that have the Zigbee built in are are kind of amazing because I think there was this huge chasm between, you know, people who might have wanted that functionality but couldn't imagine changing a light switch out. But I just Mm -hmm. bought my first connected bulb and it's kind of a revelation, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, if you've always gone downstairs and had to turn off all the lights and it's always the last thing I do and I'm really tired and I've lost the Rochambeau with my wife... (laughs) you know, you kind of become these light switch farmers, right? You you run around with your little index finger to different sides of the rooms and turn that all off. As soon as you start to experience, you know, what connected lighting looks like, it's really hard to kind of go back to that. You know, we're so, it's so ingrained in our psyche to go do those sorts of things. So, you know, at Arant, we're trying to make sure that we've built out the platform in a way that makes it very simple from a manufacturer that may know, you know, may really know lighting, but doesn't know all these connected infrastructure and doesn't know how to, to launch a product, much less launch a product globally and have infrastructure all over the world to support it. So if we can make that really easy, I'm hoping, you know, that's really going to help push the industry forward. So a lot of these companies can start, you know, offering these products and we can, I can kind of get that future a little sooner. I'm with you on the lighting part. We've done a few areas of our home with currently a Wink based system and it, is great. I mean, the lights kind of fade in and out, which makes them really gentle. You can change the brightness very easily in a way that you never could before. Mm-hmm. And it is just a very, very quickly, like technologies, say TiVo, things like that, you get very, very used to them. And, and you'd start to assume that things will just work that way. And it would be tough to go back to switches that are always in inconvenient places and things. Yeah, I think that's true for everything. You know, it's sort of like, you know, if you looked at like power locks on cars, right, you know, that was on the Cadillacs initially, right, the very high end cars. And everyone was like, Oh, really, do we really need power locks on cars? You know, how hard is it just to go pull a little piece? And this is more reliable, and I understand it. And now, you know, I go rent a car. And, you know, we've got three or four people and, you know, the, the low end rentals to try to get you to upgrade, I I believe, you know, all you know, they have the manual locks on all the doors. And you're Uh like, what is this? You know, you're like no you, backup camera. How you know, dare you? Exactly. I'm, I'm How does this still over, exist? You know, to <laughs> unlock the bed, you know, the, the rear door in the back seat. And so I think that's kind of, you know, it's, it's funny how quickly, you know, these ideas go from new 
to, you know, new and weird to new and good to how can I live without that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that, so let's say we get to the, how can we live without them phase? The only kind of very weird experience I had was when the internet went out and I couldn't shut off my lights. Oh, have you guys thought about yeah. how to bring so, some of that intelligence? So like a, of sort all, of like a rant systems. You don't have to deal with that. <laughs> you know, we tell me about that. Why not? Because you say a lot of the intelligence is in the cloud. There's certain functions that you have to have that have to work even when the internet isn't up. So for instance, if you go with a, like an, a, like a Sylvania or an Ostram solution, even when the internet's out, you've got full controllability over your, over your lighting solution. So I think there's certain functions that you just want to have hardened. And there may be other pieces like, if I want to set up a new program or if I want to add a new product that requiring that kind of connectivity, and those are sort of okay. But at the end of the day, there's just certain things that you want to have work when the internet connection is down. And so I think we really help the companies that we work with the manufacturers that we work with figure out how to sort of divide that complexity and where to put those parts that just have to be there. As I'm sure you're, you're aware more than anyone, uh, there's this plethora of standards as people like Apple start to jump into the market with HealthKit. Mm-hmm. Google, of course, is getting uh, much more serious about sort of productizing some of the IP and some of the uh, intelligence they, they acquired through the Nest acquisition. Where do you play? How do you feel about that? Are you okay with that? Are you happy to interoperate and have one less thing to worry about in building a product in the sense that manufacturer could adopt Brillo and then and then support your platform through that? Sure. Or or are you just kind of like going to stand back, let the smoke clear and, and see what who stands at the top of the pile when, when everything's done? Well, it actually creates a, a really big need for platforms like Arant. I mean, if you look at this from the point of view of a manufacturer, there's a number of ecosystems that they now have to decide if they're going to play in or not. The trouble is you can't pick one, right? You can't make a product that's just HomeKit where you leave out all the Android guys. The, you know, there's uh, Google's ecosystem, Apple's ecosystem, all the service providers like, you know, like Comcast also have their ecosystems. The retailers, you know, if you look at, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's, Iris, right, have ecosystems to go through. So what Orion's really doing is we're kind of sitting there and creating this sort of Switzerland platform that they can bring their products to and they can have single SKUs and then figure out how they're going to play with all the other ecosystems that are out there. And it's our job to make it very easy for them to do that. And I think that probably that's going to be more the way forward, especially for the kind of the big brands themselves that want to control their own sort of IoT destiny rather than be just an accessory in somebody else's system. They're really going to want that sort of Switzerland platform from which then to decide how they're going to play in this evolving space. And in the next three, four years, for sure, it's not going to converge where there's going to be one smart home provider. We're going to live in a world where there's lots of different areas that are unique And our customers are going to demand that we really be compatible with each other. So that's where we're putting a lot of effort around, really making that platform flexible enough so that you can participate in all these ecosystems. And as this IoT world grows with the standards and the systems, are you seeing it in the market as a whole? Is it a strategic evolution or is it more kind of a haphazard panic of different startups wanting to jump in or or the major players wanting to jump in or, oh, this would be cool, so we're going to focus on that? How have you been seeing it evolve? I think right now there's a lot of big players that are putting together ecosystems uh, strategically. 
What that means is there's probably less forces in the market for them to play nicely together between those big ecosystems right now, which means we're going to have some islands and we're going to need companies like Arant to do a lot of bridging between those islands. I think ultimately the customers want this stuff all to work together. And I think the place where we'll see the most cooperation and the place where we'll see the most integration between these various different products are in the cloud. And that's just a function of that's going to be the easiest and sanest place to do a lot of this connection and plumbing without making your home a tremendous mess, given that there isn't going to be one standard or one company that's going to dominate the home in the next three to four years. Shane, thank you so much. This was a really interesting talk and I really appreciate your time. I really enjoyed talking with you guys and uh, looking forward to the next one. And again, um, thanks for all the great work you guys are doing, kind of bringing these conversations to the fore. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Far Stuff, the Internet of Things podcast. You can find us on the internet at farstuff.com and at farstuff on Twitter. Get in touch with us using the contact form at farstuff.com or email us at podcast at farstuff.com. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts because it helps other people find us. To get the best Internet of Things news every week, sign up for our email newsletter at farstuff.com. And this brings us to the end of our thing. Thanks for listening. Normally you get the last word in by saying bye. Bye. Yo. What up? Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Take care. Have a good weekend.